you're a first or second time guest with us this morning or watching us on Facebook, we're really glad that you're here and watching because today we're beginning a new series on the intimacy with God. I hope that you'll be blessed by being with us, but most of all that you are transformed by the presence of God because that's really our goal here. We just want you to maybe sense God's presence for the first time in your life, that you know that regardless of what the Bible says, regardless of what other people have told you, that you had an experience with God and you know now that it's real and nobody can talk you out of it. And no event in life, whether it's a loss of a loved one or a loss of a job or whatever, will ever take you away from knowing that God is real. We've been talking and talking for actually several years about intimacy with God. And we've never really broke it down and tried to explain it. So with some other resources and with the help of Andy, I really want to just take our time and I want to cover this topic from every angle that we can. Because as we said last week, to know him is to love him. And do you know that under the new covenant, thank God we don't live under the old covenant, because I don't know if anybody can live under that. Under the new covenant, we have two commands. Love God and love one another. To know him is to love him. So if a command is to love him, we must get to know him. Right? We know this about our spouses and our kids. And, you know, hey, I know my kids were really bad today, but really, if you really knew them, they're, they're, they're great. You know, <laughs> not what I said. You can't know him or love him if you don't have an intimate relationship with him. I'm starting to believe more and more that a lot of us struggle in the area of intimacy with other humans. And now those struggles with other humans are affecting our intimacy with God. Sometimes I think some of us complicate intimacy with God. And I think some of us are just lazy in our intimacy with God. But I think some of us just don't know what it is. So I believe it, it's supposed to look, by the way, if I were to boil it down into a nutshell, and really it's what the Bible says, that I really believe that our intimacy with God is supposed to look a lot like our intimacy with each other. Think about it. When you think of a loved one, a spouse, a sibling, or a friend, what is it that you really want from them that would make you more intimate with them? Besides the intimate act of sex, what is it that you really want from them that would make your relationship with them more intimate? Closeness, time, openness, communication, togetherness, right? Affection, warmth, trust, confidence. I like the openness because we're going to touch on that. Open heart, vulnerability. No lies and no secrets. Transparency. These are the areas that we're supposed to be working on with each other, but we usually don't. What we do is we take each other for granted. And we fall into the give me, give me, give me trap. What have you done for me lately? And if you haven't done anything for me, why would I do anything to, that you want? It's, it's all about what the other person can give to me. And you know what? These are the areas we're supposed to be working on with God. Transparency and closeness and openness and togetherness and friendship. But we don't. We take God for granted. And we fall into the give me, give me trap. All of our communication with God is asking for something. Or we don't want anything to do with God until we find out we have cancer. Then we want him to save us. Then we want a relationship. When we're in trouble and we realize that with us being in control, things are out of control. Right? Listen, I ain't yelling at you. It's just a reality. You know how I know? Because I've lived it. I've been there. I don't want your relationship with God to either be based on what he can give you or that if you mess up, he's going to hammer you with an iron hammer and just crush you and destroy you. That's the old covenant. That's what happened in the Old Testament when you messed up. He did. He came in and he destroyed thousands and thousands of people. Thank God we don't live under the Old Testament the old covenant, right? Some of us are new to the faith, and not only do we not know what intimacy with God is, some of us have actually been taught not to have intimacy with God. 
Some of us have been taught that that's only for the priest to have intimacy with God. In fact, even in the Catholic religion, they actually teach you not to read the Bible. That's the priest's job. So, so many of you in this room have no idea what we're talking about when we mention having intimacy with God. So I want to help you know for the first time and for the rest of us to be reminded about what it is so that we can be more intentional about being intimate with God. That's our word for the year, right? Intentionality. Intentional. That's the journey we're going to take uh, for a while together. So let's dive in. Have you ever had to properly teach your children how to answer the door at your house? Did you ever have to go through that with your... Because kids have no fear. And if there's a knock at the door, they're just going to open it for anyone. So if you properly teach them how to answer the door, there's two things that you're probably going to teach them to say. Number one, who is it? And if they don't know who it is on the other side, you'll say, can I help you? But you don't open the door, right? Well, the Bible gives us a description of Jesus who's standing outside of a door and he's knocking. And the passage of scripture that we're going to look at in a minute was written to some church people. These were church people. These church people were so wealthy and so blessed. And listen, they were so busy doing church things. They were so busy doing religious things that they didn't recognize that Jesus was outside the door trying to get into their deal. Good church people doing good church things, and Jesus is like, hey, let me in. And they didn't even realize that Jesus, who was supposed to be at the center of their deal, wasn't even involved. Good church people doing good church things, and Jesus is outside Hey, guys, can I be a part of this church thing that I started a while ago? Remember the guy who died for you so you don't have to beat yourself up under the old covenant? Remember, remember I, I, I got rid of that so that you could have more freedom. Remember me? If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. Last book of the Bible, book of Revelation. It'll be on the screen, but, you know, we, we uh, want you to learn to know where Revelation is. We want you to be able to take notes beside your Bible, so that way when you're sharing it with your coworkers, you can remember what God spoke to you during the sermon on Sunday. Revelation 3, verse 20. Here I am. Notice the exclamation point. Do you notice that? What does that mean? He's shouting. Pay attention to this. Some versions say, behold. It's kind of like saying, hey, Tommy, Marky want tacos. Let me in. He's shouting. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and what? Well, that's kind of strange. Why would Jesus waste his time just eating with us? He's the savior of the world. What are you talking about? I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now, by the way, are you sure that's all Jesus is going to do? Just eat with a person? Think bigger. Think bigger. Those of you that have heard his voice at some point in your life and opened the door, did you just have a meal with Jesus? Is that all that happened? Probably not. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and wreck them. I will come in and rearrange their life. I will come in, and they will never be the same again. Right? Some of you that have lived this out. Interestingly enough, if you look at the titles in Revelation 3, Revelation 3 has three parts to it. The one letter was written to a dead church. In the name of Jesus, we will never be that. One letter was written to a faithful church. In the name of Jesus, we will be that. But the letter that we're, we're reading from, it was written to a lukewarm church. Uh-oh. Lukewarm means they're half-hearted, they're unenthusiastic, they're non-committed, they're lackadaisical. Listen, how many of our marriages and relationships are either dead or lukewarm? Do you know why? Lack of intimacy. It's not always a lack of good sex. It's a lack of closeness, friendship, vulnerability, honesty, trust. It's all the things that we mentioned. Friendship. Your relationships are supposed to be based on friendship, not sex. When you start out with sex, it's doomed for failure. 
And look what we've done to our relationships. There's no intimacy. We meet somebody, and within, two we within 24 hours, we're having sex with them, and then we're moving in together within two weeks. And we don't even know them. Then when we get to know them, we're like, whoa. Whoa, what did I get myself into? And now my parents don't want anything to do with me anymore because they warned me about him. I just gave up my apartment. I quit my job to take care of her kids. I'm stuck because I rushed into it without knowing them. Right? That's what we've done to earthly relationships. And we're seeing a lot of consequences in our society because of that, right? A lack of intimacy. Same is true with our relationship with God. We have way too many things that are distracting us from having a true relationship, really, with anyone. But here's the main point of our entire series together in your notes. I will come in and dine with that person and they with me. That's our main point for this entire series. I will eat with that person. I will share a meal with that person and he with me. Jesus is saying this to church people. Regardless of your sin, if you ever have the nerve to open the door and let me into your life, do you know what we're going to do? We're just going to dine together. I know this is messing you up because this is not the picture of God that you had. Why did Jesus say eat together here in this passage? Part of it is because, and mostly because in that culture at that time, there was nothing more intimate that he could have put at the end of this verse. The most intimate thing you could do at that time was to invite somebody into your home and spend hours with them just eating a meal. In your notes, he's saying, I want to come in and we're just going to be together. I just want to come in, have a meal, and be with you. See, Tommy thinks I really just want his tacos. But that's not true. I know I may not like his tacos, because honestly, I like the way my wife makes them. And he's half Mexican, full Mexican. You're all the way. Are you, are you illegal? I just wanted to get it on Facebook. I may not even like the way he does tacos, because, you know, we get used to a certain way of eating certain foods. What I'm really excited about is being in Tommy's house and actually just being with him. Because if he never invites me over, I'm wondering if he even likes me. That's what I've been wondering for months. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it on the record publicly, okay? We'll see if he invites me over this week or next week. Remember, I was a master manipulator when I was younger, so I'm, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> Can you imagine what Jesus just said here? I just want to be with you. What are we going to do? What are you going to do, Jesus, when you come into my house? Nothing. We're just going to be together. This is what the passage really boils down to in your notes. You and I as believers have a heavenly father who through his son Jesus desires a relationship that is characterized by intimacy. That's it. That's what we're going to be talking about. You and I as believers have a heavenly father who through his son Jesus desires to have a relationship with you that is characterized by intimacy. He doesn't want to be a God who sits on a shelf that you just pull down whenever you need him. He wants to be with you 24 hours a day, even in your sleep. He wants you to have dreams that have to do with his kingdom, not nightmares. His priority for our lives is not to come in and kick us around and manipulate us. To stop this and start this and don't do this and don't do that. It's not about that. God's priority for us, if we ever open the door all the way, is to have intimacy into our whole life, every part. Marriage, children, job, church, finances. He wants to be a part of your finances. You want to know why your finances are such a mess? He's not included in them. Guarantee it. Remember what we, well, no, you don't understand, Pastor. I'm just being stupid. Yeah, because with God, there's wisdom. So, yeah, you're right. Remember what we said last week. Just being busy doing church things is not necessarily proof that you love God. And this letter is written to believers because of that very thing. Christians who were being so busy doing religious things, and yet they missed out on the thing 
that God, by the way, has gone to great lengths to create for us. The potential for intimate relationship with the Father through his Son. He gave up his Son so that you could have that. And in your notes, we can be good church people, and we can miss all of that because we don't know who is outside knocking, or we're afraid of what he might ask of us if we let him in. We're, we either are unaware of who Jesus is, and that's why we don't recognize who's out there, and that's why we're not opening the door, or we're afraid of what he may do if we let him in. I actually think some of us are actually scared to be wrecked spiritually. I don't, know, I don't know what that fear is and where it comes from, but we're afraid to cry in front of people. We won't go to the altar because we don't want to seem weak. I don't know what, what it is because I've never been able to wrap my arms around it, but I get it. There's a fear there sometimes that just to just literally surrender my life to God. What will that mean? What does that look like? Yeah, I'd rather just stay in control of everything. Well, good luck with that one. I think we all know what it means to have God knock on our door, the door of our hearts, don't we? Some of us, most of us. When you felt God pushing you maybe to change a behavior, and oftentimes we walk up to the door when we hear it knocking, when we hear him knocking and we say things like, hey, uh, can you come back later? I've got some good things going on right now, and if I let you in, it's going to mess things up for me. If I let you in, that means I'm going to have to move out of this relationship. I have to move out of this apartment. I have to get out of this inappropriate relationship. And, you know, she really makes me feel loved for the first time in my life. So can you come back later? It's a little inconvenient right now. Or can you come back older? Because when I'm older, I'll have fewer options, but right now I want to have fun. Or come back when the bottom drops out of my life. In fact, you won't have to knock because I'm going to open the door and I'm going to be yelling for you to come back. But right now is not a good time. I, it, you're just going to interfere with my life. And do you know that most of us, including pastors, go to the door when Jesus is knocking and we say, I just don't have the time to sit and dine with you. I have stuff to do. And unless you're going to come in and help me with my stuff, I really don't have time to sit and talk and be quiet and dine. I really don't have the time to invest knowing you. My point is, almost all of us have the tendency to keep Jesus on the other side of the door. Because we either really don't know who is on the other side, or we might be confused about what he will do if we let him in. And yet at the same time in your notes, all of that is kind of twisted because at the same time, inside all of us, we long for intimacy. There is something inside all of us that longs for intimacy. So let's define intimacy before we even move in. This is kind of like the introduction to the whole series today is. Intimacy, to be fully known and fully accepted without any fear of rejection. To be fully known, fully accepted without any fear of rejection. Do you know an intimate relationship? I think I put it in your notes. An intimate relationship is when you know everything there is to know about me and you accept me and love me anyway. Thank God for Angel. Some of you are thinking of your spouse. Woo, thank God they stuck with me because they know everything and they have not left me. They may be the only one that truly loves me. And yet we're more mean to our spouses than anybody in, in, our, in our life. Isn't that twisted? And yet they're the only ones. I haven't even accepted you the way they've accepted you. Sometimes I don't want to be around you at all, right? But they go home every night to you. And all, all you do is put them down with words and horrible, horrible things that we say to each other. I want you to think about that. Remember, our relationship is a reflection of our relationship with the Father, right? Now, if you're anything like me, some of you, if you're anything like me where you don't have a problem being an open book to people, okay? You've known people that you've been fully known by someone else because you were an open book to them and that person just stomped on it and they walked away. You know what it means to be fully known but not accepted. On the other hand, some of you are very guarded people because you've been hurt in the past. And you have a tendency then to project an image of yourself so that your image is accepted. It's kind of like you're a double agent. If they really knew the dark side of me, would they really still love me and still accept me? So you know what you do? You spend all your time, even at church on Sunday morning, managing your image because you're afraid of what we might do to you if we found out the truth. Can I tell you what we would do? 
because we're under the new covenant. We don't stone people anymore. Thank God we're not under the old covenant. Josh, you know why I'm hammering this. Do you know what we would do to you if you told us your deepest, darkest secrets? We'd go, get out of here. There's another church that you can go to, but not this one. We would love you. We would love you and we would accept you. And we'd go, you know what? There's 50 other people in the room that have been through that same thing. We've all done it at some point in our lives. You see what the enemy does? Manage your image. Make them think you're spiritual. You better clap this Sunday just to make them think everything's okay. Just go to church and then they'll think, oh my word, they're so spiritual. They went to church. Because of the fear of taking the risk of being an open book, you will never experience deep acceptance from someone else. If that's who you are. If you're so guarded that you won't let anybody in. You see, those people want to be accepted for who they want to be. So they, they, pro, they project or portray this false, perfect image and hope that no one finds out the truth. I call that actually living in darkness when we're supposed to be living in the light. And do you know all of this affects our relationship with God? So it is, an, it is in all of us to be in a relationship where we are so loved that we never fear that the one who loves us will ever walk away no matter what we do. That's what we long for. Are you getting a new picture of what love is this Valentine's season? So many young people and even older people who don't understand what love is and what it isn't. I'm in love. Really? You just met him yesterday. But she completes me. Oh, come on. Stop using a line from a movie. Oh, we're getting an apartment tomorrow. I could be wrong here, but as I was thinking about this in my office, I was wondering if anybody ever said this before. But perhaps, maybe, maybe. Maybe intimacy is the result of love being tested over and over and over. I don't know if anybody's ever coined that phrase before, but maybe it was a download from God. But maybe when I was thinking about my relationship with my wife, maybe intimacy is the result of love being tested for a long time. Because it's taken years and years and years of our love being tested for Angel and I to truly have an intimate relationship. Because most of us think of intimacy as just having sexual relations with someone. And sex in marriage is a very intimate act, don't get me wrong. In marriage, in marriage, in marriage. But the way I see intimacy is way more than that. It's when Angel knows my thoughts before I even speak them. And when I do start to speak something, she can finish my sentence. Intimacy is when we go to a restaurant and I'm in the bathroom, she can order my entire meal and get it right because she knows me. So then I thought of this. This was kind of funny. Listen closely. Intimacy is when she knows my buttons. Love is when she decides not to push them. <laughs> right? Intimacy is knowing someone, and she knows my buttons, and she very rarely pushes them. And that just keeps building the intimacy deeper and deeper and deeper. I want you to think, couples and anybody in a relationship, and even with your children, children, Maddie, listen, we know how to push our parents' buttons. Right, Alex? Come on. And parents, we know how to push our kids' buttons. And the Bible, in, in my own words, in Proverbs says, you're not supposed to bring anxiety onto your children. In other words, you're not supposed to push their buttons. You're supposed to encourage and build them up, not make them feel worse about themselves, or even just, boop, you know, I know Zach. I watched Zach for years push his mom's buttons. No. No. I saw it. I saw it publicly, so I know how this works. <laughs> Sorry, Zach. I threw you under the bus publicly. Think about that. She knows my buttons, but she love is when she decides not to push them. In your notes, there's a hole in all of our souls that longs for intimacy. Because you know why? We were created for intimacy. And there is only one relationship, one, that can fill the hole in your heart. 
I'm going to say it again because this is where we're getting it so wrong in our society. There is only one relationship that can fill the hole of intimacy in your life. I don't even have to mention his name. The problem is, the only relationship that can fill us in your notes, we keep shut out on the other side of the door because we're afraid of what he might do or because we simply just don't know who he is. And Jesus is waiting not just to dine with us so that we can know him, but he wants to know us as well. He knows us, but he still wants to hear us talk about our day, talk about our issues, talk about our wife's buttons and my buttons and why does she keep pushing them? He does. Let's go to the beginning. We just started in Revelation. Let's go all the way to the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. The introduction to this series is what I want to do is I want to portray what he said in the beginning and what he says in the end. And I just want you to think, not to necessarily get you to do something, although you will have a homework assignment. During this message, I just want you to think. I want you to ask some questions in your mind, in your spirit. When I look at my Christian life, am I pursuing intimacy with God? Would others say or see that I'm pursuing intimacy with God? Or am I just trying to be gooder? Genesis 1, verse 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, and he created them. And then just as a side note, what does the next three words say? He blessed them. Why? They didn't deserve a blessing. They haven't done anything yet. I'm trying to show you who God really is. What have they done to deserve a blessing? Nothing. Isn't God cool? And then God gives them their responsibility. I'm going to rule over the universe. I want you to rule over the whole earth. Listen in your notes. Basically, what we're seeing here is that God created us for relationship and in relationship with himself from the beginning. We were created for relationship and in relationship with God. Adam and Eve were created in a perfect relationship of intimacy where they were fully known and not ashamed and not afraid of rejection from God. And God revealed himself to them so that he was fully known to them as much as that was possible without them dying and with no fear of rejection by them. God so loved Adam and Eve that he blessed them before they ever did anything. So let me just add a side note. This may come later up in the thing, but I just thought of something and I threw it in here. Complete side note that's in your notes. Secrets kill intimacy in any relationship. Secrets kill intimacy. Secrets keep us from being fully known. And I don't think you can have intimacy with someone unless you have complete vulnerability, complete openness, transparency. That goes for earthly and heavenly relationships. Now, that was just a side note. We'll probably get back to that later on in the the series later on. Let me address the image thingy. What does it mean that we are made in the image of God? In Genesis 5, if you go over a couple chapters, it says when God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. And even with Adam, Adam had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. So when you look at your children... Don't you see yourself? But they're not you. They're a part of you. You can't, you can't, come on. All we have to do is look at other people's children and go, oh my word. I look at Matea and I totally see Dan. Totally see Dan. I'm still not sure with with, uh, Dusty's yet because sometimes I see her side of the family and sometimes I see Bryant. It's mostly Bryant right now, but I think it just depends on what face she makes. But we can see our children, right? We see ourselves in our children. We see it in other people's children, in your notes. In the same way, when God looks at you, you're not God. But when he sees you, he sees a part of him. He made us as much like himself as he possibly could. God created us for relationship and in relationship. That was his goal in the beginning, and that's where he's taken us in the very end. Relationship. Dining with, eating with. Remember, he's preparing a banquet in the end. Why? 
just to be with us for eternity. That's what you were created to be. Not just for later on, by the way, but for now, too. Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful picture. And it's not reserved for religious leaders. This is for you. If God created you, then he, re- he desires to have relationship with you. And anything less and any distraction from it means that you are leaving Jesus outside the door, knocking, and you're not answering. Did you know that the Bible is simply a love story from beginning to end? God, the creator, has prized creations that he created to have a relationship with, and then sin broke the trust, sin destroyed the intimacy, and the rest of the Bible is about God working to put that all back together. Do you realize the Bible is a story of redemption? God doing everything within his power to reestablish this relationship that was broken, to regain intimacy, to renew connection with us since the beginning. The question is why? Why would God do everything in his power to restore this broken relationship? Do you know why? Because deep, deep, deep in the heart of God, he doesn't want, he doesn't just want rule keepers. He doesn't want church people. He doesn't want religious people. He desires to have an intimate relationship with man without ever the fear of rejection. That's what he desires. Let's go all the way back to the book of Revelation, the last book again. Chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. You have to know this before we read this. At this point in Revelation, it's over, Rover. The whole thing is over. Jesus came back. The battle of Armageddon is over. Satan is where he now belongs for eternity. And now God puts it all back together the way he wanted it to begin with. So let's look at what he says. This is John, the beloved of Jesus. He's writing this in Revelation 21, beginning with verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now watch this. This is the good part. I hope none of you miss this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and by the way, the voice from the throne is Jesus. And he's saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, mankind. In other words, I'm putting it back together the way I originally wanted it to be. To be with you. That's all I've ever longed for and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. In four little phrases, he says, it is finished. It's all back together. After all of these thousands and thousands of years, God reestablishes intimacy with mankind. And he doesn't say that about anything else that he created, only mankind. Check out this next verse if you want a little intimacy rubbed in there with this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. God himself will wipe your tears from your eyes. Now that's intimacy. When's the last time someone else felt so comfortable with you that they wiped a tear from your eye? Can anyone, even the creator, say or do anything more intimate than that? That's a mother when you're a child. That's a husband or wife when the hearts are broken. This is not a stranger. This is not someone on the outside of a door. Because if you read the entire Bible, or the book of Revelation, if you read the whole book of Revelation, because I went back just to be reminded, it was pretty scary what's going on in the end times. There's bolts of lightning, there's thunder, there's shaking, there's angels shouting at vultures. There's flames of fire coming out of eyes. God's wrath is being poured out in the book of Revelation. But when it's all said and done, this is how personal it's going to be. God wiping every tear from every eye. That is the picture of intimacy that God desires to have with all of us. Isn't that powerful? And wait, when you wake up every morning to begin your day, he wants you to approach him like that kind of God. Love. 
intimacy. What's on the other side of the door that some of us refuse to open is simply a God that just wants to be with you. He just wants to be with you. In your notes, we're not supposed to approach God with fear, but with confidence that he loves us and he desires intimacy with us. Because intimacy breeds confidence and trust and friendship and affection and warmth and vulnerability and openness. From the very beginning, it's intimacy. To the very end, it's intimacy. God never changes his agenda. And sadly, there are way too many Christians who do not have intimacy with God. And there are way too many churches and religions that teach you not to have intimacy with God. Maybe not on purpose, but nonetheless. And most of us have been taught to just try harder and harder to be gooder and gooder. It's like Jesus is knocking and knocking to come in, and we're like, Jesus, would you please wait? I hear you, but I'm waiting to get it right before I open the door. I'm waiting to be perfect before I really let you in. Those are the people who rededicate their lives every Sunday. They're trying. Oh, boy, are they trying. They're really trying. And Jesus shouts louder and bangs at the door harder, and he says, that's your problem. You can only get it right if you let me in. You're trying to do it on your own. Open the door. You can only get it right after you open the door. So here's a question to ponder. If someone were to ask you, what do you mean you're intimate with God? How would you answer that? Don't answer it out loud, but how would you answer that? What do you mean you're intimate with God? What does that mean? Because you're going to get that question. Would you start telling them about everything that you do at church or in your neighborhood or in your ministry? Would you tell them about some powerful feeling that you had at a powerful conference or service at your church? Or would you immediately begin to weep because of the quiet time that you had just that morning with your Savior? Would you start telling them about what your Savior spoke to you? Would you just brag about how good God is to you? The point is, we can be busy, 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 busy doing religious things and miss God. And do you know what a lot of Christians are hiding behind today? Bad church experiences. <laughs> and it's really not hard to know who they are. Because you can say one comment about church and off they go, blah, 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 blah. Right? I, sometimes I just want to say, for years and years and years, you've been telling the same old story over and over and over. As if you think that because of that bad experience, God's going to give you a pass. Here's the truth. You're probably not missing out on church, but your anger and your unforgiveness is causing you to miss out on intimacy with your Father in heaven. In your notes, God doesn't want us to be good church, a good church person. He wants us to know him and experience intimacy and acceptance at its deepest level. Humans cannot provide that for you. They will always fail you. And as long as you keep telling that silly story about a church who hurt you, you're going to miss God. And I know it's real, and I know it hurt. I've been hurt by churches. But we've got to stop slinging stones at the church. The Bible is clear. God is clear that you are to seek forgiveness and restoration and move on. Because sin isolates us from the, our Heavenly Father. We don't have to fear God anymore, so we have to stop running away from him. Come on, move on, right? It's getting old hearing you scold, however you want to put it. What you think makes you win is actually just sin. Get over your bruise and start to cruise. Get off the bus, Gus. Don't give me no bus. You knew I was going to sing. Do you know that that's why we have warnings in the Word of God? Even under the New Covenant, it says, watch out, be careful, stop that, start that, don't do that. Do you know why we're, giving bound, we're given boundaries even under the New Covenant? Because our desires and decisions affect our level of intimacy with our Heavenly Father. So he gives us boundaries in your notes. 
Because here's the fact, Jack. Intimacy with God changes you. It changes you. How do I know that? One day Jesus is walking along, and he looks up in a tree, and there's a man named, yes, you know him, Zacchaeus. Remember the wee little man, and a wee little man was he? You all, some of you sang that. Everyone hated Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. He was a thief. He was a traitor to Israel. And Jesus comes up and says, Zacchaeus, come down from there because we must go to church so that my pastor can save you, you sinner. You dirty, dirty man. No, where did Jesus want to go? To his house. To do what? To dine. To eat. That's it. And when the meal was over, Zacchaeus was a changed man. Yeah, there's some do's and don'ts. Yeah, there's some stops and starts. But that's not the point. One day, Jesus is walking along, and he actually catches a tax collector in the act of robbing from people. His name was Matthew. He catches him in sin. And the disciples want to spit on him, and Jesus says, Hey, come follow me. Come with us. And the disciples are like, what? Come with us? No. We're a perfect church. And where do they end up going, by the way? To Matthew's house. To do what? Eat. Jesus made it so simple under the new covenant. We get to eat food with each other. Listen, I have a new philosophy about our life groups that I don't know if we're going to make you do it, but honestly, I heard Bevan Bish was sharing with me on the way to New York yesterday that one of the life groups at Tri-County has a philosophy. They do a Bible study the first week of the month. The second week, they just have a meal together. And then the third week, they go and do something for somebody in the community. They literally just modeled what Jesus did. I don't know what they do the fourth week. He never did answer that, but seriously, what is so wrong if in our life group, once in a while, we just stop the Bible study and just get to know each other. Have fun. Food breaks down barriers. It does. So they go to Matthew's house. They eat a meal. And boop, Matthew's changed forever. He ends up wrecking the world. That's all Jesus wants from you is to hang, to eat, to fellowship, to dine, however you want to put it. Jesus just wants to be with you. He just wants you to sit still and be with him in your notes. But way too many of us are waiting to change before we sit with Jesus. You know, the whole unworthy thing. But that's not how it works. We change after we open the door and sit with Jesus. Zacchaeus and Matthew were changed after the meal. And think about it. They were able to sit with him with sin in their hearts but without the fear of being rejected by him. So God just wants you to take some time, sit and be still, and get to know him and be known by him without any fear of being rejected. He already knows about your sin. You don't have to go in and go, I wonder if I should mention it. If I tell him, he's probably not going to love me. He already knows. He already knows. He just wants you to experience his love for you and his acceptance for you with no fear. Because intimacy with God will change you. You can't be with Jesus and not be changed. It's automatic. So guess what? I have a homework assignment for you. We're just starting. This is the introduction to this whole series. And it's going to go on for a long time. All right, here we go. You ready? You might have to write this down, because I don't know if I put it in your notes or not. Here we go. It's a step-by-step process. Ready? This is the way, this is the practical application of today's message. This is how you're going to do it this week. You're going to at least do this at least one time. You're going to give it a shot. Men, I'm talking to you too. I want to know that everybody in this room did this before, and it's going to be hard for me to do, but we're going to do this one time before next Sunday. And then you're going to know, this is so there's no confusion. Here it is. Sometime this week, I just want you to get alone. Richard has the list. He'll put it up here in a minute. Get alone. And if you have a regular routine of getting alone, what I'm asking you to do is do something different. This is a different assignment that you do at a different time. 
Because I'm guessing that when you get alone, there's usually a pen in your hand or paper or there's music. I'm talking about something totally different. Do it at a different time than you normally do it. Get alone and then don't speak except for a prayer that I'm going to give you. But what I'm talking about is don't pray a memorized prayer. Don't chant anything. Throw out everything that you usually do at least this one time and don't read. Don't read anything from a Bible or a devotional. And don't write. You can do the, the writing you can do after your time is over. You can journal your experience. And make sure there's no distractions, no music, no TV, no kids. And this is going to be the hardest part for most of us because we, like, we don't like silence. And also, don't confess anything. Don't start confessing your sins. God already knows about them. And especially, especially, don't ask for anything. Because that's how most of us spend our prayer time. And I guarantee you, some of you are going to sit down and go, Jesus, I need a new bike. Oh, wait, 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 I wasn't supposed to do that. Because that's what we're used to. Our prayer time is always asking for something. There's only one thing I want you to pray during that time, and here it is. Lord, I think I put it in your notes. Is it in your notes or not? The prayer. No, it's not at the bottom. Okay, you might have to write it down. You, can, you don't have to do this exact prayer. But just get the idea. Lord, I come before you just as I am. I just want to know you and be known by you. Fill every desire I have for intimacy with your presence. And then your final step is this. Sit and listen. Don't speak. Angel prophesied this before the service. He's a God of revelation. He wants to speak to you. He wants to tell you how much he loves you. Sometimes we're doing this too much and he can't get through. We don't even hear him knocking at the door because we're so busy giving everybody advice and telling them how their life should be perfect when our life in the dark is a mess. So I really hope all of us, everybody in this room, and I really hope you have stories next week to tell me, oh my word, you wouldn't believe what happened. I actually, for the first time in my life, heard an audible voice of God. Maybe it won't be in the room loud, but you'll know it in your spirit. We just prayed for God to give us a vision. You know, I came in and I turned on the video in Bethel and I was crying and I had the Bible open and I had all these notebooks open and God said, I thought you said you were going to spend quiet time with me. I can't speak to you with all of those distractions. So I shut everything down. And, and the last thing I had to shut off was the soundboard. I hit the power button and the moment my feet hit the carpet coming out of the soundboard, God spoke the vision to me. I believe God's going to speak things to you, whatever you need to hear, if you just shut up and be quiet. Five minutes, ten minutes, half an hour. Some of you may want to do this more than one day. For some of you, this isn't new. For some of other people in this room, it's brand new, and it's going to feel awkward and weird because you don't know who's behind the door, but I want you to push through those feelings because the person on the other side of the door just wants to know you. Try this at least once before next Sunday, men, teenagers. Women just have an easier time doing it. That's why I'm not addressing that. But it may be hard for some of them too. Some of you may want to do it every day. That's up to you. But we're just, we're just at the beginning of this series. We have a lot more to cover, a lot more to learn. I want you to be here every Sunday so you don't miss one part of this. You know, it was interesting when the kids were younger. Um, I used to play hide and go seek in the house with them. Uh, and when I was counting, Jonathan was really hard to play hide and go seek with. And you may have a kid like this, I don't know. While I was counting, after I was done counting, I'd start walking through the house. And it went the same way every time. He couldn't do it any other way. Jonathan, no matter how good his hiding spot was, as soon as I got close, he would start giggling in the closet. <laughs> he just started giggling. He couldn't help it. He laughed uncontrollably. And most of the time, right when I would reach for the handle, he would burst open the door and go, you found me! And I'm like, that's not the point of the game! But I knew you were going to find me. You know what I've come to realize? I think that was Jonathan's favorite part of the game. Was being found. Your heavenly father just wants to be found by you favorite part of the game. I want you to come to him as you really are. Without promising him anything, God, I promise you, if you speak to me like Pastor Mark said you would, I will stop doing it. No, no promises. 
just sit and be in his presence. If you start intentionally practicing this every day, it's going to wreck your life. Father, we just love you with all of our heart. Wow. The person who created the universe wants to have a relationship with me at home in my living room. Everywhere I go, he wants to help me know what to do and what not to do and he cares that much about me that he's not even going to look at my sin when I go into his presence that sin will be dealt with he just wants to be with me he just wants to eat with me he wants to dine with me he just wants to love on me why would we serve any other God than that God God of so much love guys you are worthy to be in his presence if you were created by him Just be accepted by him. Stop waiting to be perfect. Stop trying to fix yourself. You can't do that without letting him in. Let him in. Try something new. Do something fresh. Surrender your life. Christians, listen to me. Please, surrender your life. Some of you have been going to church for a long time and have not surrendered your life. Father, I, I lift those up. You know, this church, for some reason, we attract a lot of single people, especially single, single women, single moms who are longing to be loved and who are longing for the loneliness to go away. Lord, we ask for a protection of their hearts. Guard their hearts and their purity that they will not run to another human to feel loved and to feel accepted. But they would make a commitment, a covenant with you today. You will be my boyfriend until you provide something for me. The man that I dream of, the godly husband, the godly father, the godly man that I'm looking for. And I will have patience and I will control my flesh until that day happens. I will not rush into relationships just to fill a hole that only God can fill. Everybody say it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That's a big one, guys. We have single moms in this room right now that are really struggling. The tendency of the enemy is to get them to try to fight, fulfill themselves with other men and with women. Men, are you listening? When our wives aren't keeping us happy, we run to pornography and other women at work to fulfill a hole that only God can fill. You've got to be careful. Thank you for being such an incredible God who loves us with all of his heart accepts us for who we are.